Hello and welcome to Warwick Podcasts. I'm Tom Abbott and this week I spoke to Dr. Deborah Steinberg from Warwick's Department of Sociology about the culture of genetics. Deborah was recently part of the annual sociology debate at Warwick along with Professor Zander Gilman of Emory University. We set it up as a conversation about what do you get to know about what is real about genes if you, t- if you come from a biological standpoint, and what do you get to know if you come from a cultural standpoint. So that question then, in part, is a question about what do we mean by real? What do we, what do we think counts as reality? And I would suggest that a biological standpoint asks us to think about the reality of genes with reference to its biological factuality. Whereas a cultural standpoint on the question of what is real about genes asks us to consider the possibility that what is real may be an excess of and not necessarily as closely attached to its factuality. So I make a distinction in my presentation between those two things. I think people tend to think, well, what's real about genes is are the facts of biology that are about genes. And what I argued in the debate was that much that is real about genes has to do with how people feel about genes, with the kind of fantasies uh, that are imposed on genes, fantasies about who we're related to, where we fit in long streams of history, the fantasy that we can rationally control and know about life so that um, we can deal with the exigencies, whether they're disease um, or, or the things that are uncertain. Um, so they're all kind of, I, I was saying in the, in the debate that there were all kinds of fantasies that made genes have a kind of reality out there in the culture. It's a cultural vernacular. It's a site of vast political economies, actually. Um, a site of business, a site of trade, a site of literal financial investment into the future. It's what people are practicing. Uh, a big piece of it is where the money goes in science, and genes are a big place that money goes. Those things are all realities uh, that aren't necessarily supported by they, they, they kind of operate on a faith in genes that aren't necessarily borne out by the facts. Um, which isn't to say that there aren't facts about genes, mm-hmm. but it is to say that there are excesses there. So Sander took the position of trying to explicate how biology is approaching the question of the factuality of genes, and he raised, among the other things that he raised in giving that history, um, was the distinction one could make between an approach that was interested in collectivities of people, and particularly racialized kinds of collectivities of people, versus what it might mean to think about genetics in an individual kind of way. It's interesting you use the word faith there, because a lot of what you described in terms of people looking at genetics in terms of their place within society, their place within history, um, is something that perhaps people would have looked to other sources for in the past. Have genes replaced faith? You know, Are we looking at genes in a kind of in a, in a godly sense? Well, I don't think that's a new thing, that, that science... Uh, I'm not the first person to suggest that science is a locus of, of, uh, of faith, and it's a different order of faith than a, a religious faith in God. But it may well answer to some of the same desires. There may be the same kinds of investments in place about 
wanting to know one's place in the world, wanting to have some control in an uncertain world. Um, and I think that in that sense, as I said, I'm not the first person to suggest that science may be an order of faith. I wouldn't want to equate them because um, science is, is about the articulation of those faiths through certain kinds of processes of knowledge gathering, of knowledge making, that are distinct from the way knowledge is understood and pursued in a religious context. Um, and I don't think it's right to elide the two. Um, but yes, I think that um, s genes are a current place that seems, it's like, why genes? There are all sorts of facts. Why are genes capturing imaginations? Why are genes sedimenting through the wider culture? Why do genes have such power in the world? And I think it's because genetics and the gene as a, as a kind of figuration is a place that seems to fit a moment. It seems to be available for those kinds of projective fantasies. Um, and a projective fantasy doesn't mean that's not anchored in reality. You know, people have fantasies of being able to control and ameliorate disease processes. That's very much grounded in the realities of, of disease, very much grounded in wanting to pursue happiness, wanting to pursue freedom, wanting to pursue a lot of things. Um, and it's interesting. One of the things that I found myself arguing was that it is perhaps the kind of absence of things in the gene the absence of certainty, the absence of a, a wide degree of factuality that allows space for those kinds of projections because the gene as a concept seems to be attached to very different orders of, uh, of things. You know, um, knowing about the gene as a kind of marker of your cultural identity is, seems to me quite a different order of things than knowing a, a gene as its role in the cell for the manufacturing of proteins. Um, so the, the fact that the gene seems to be able to contain so many different and quite contradictory things says to me that there's something in it of an absence that allows for those projections. And I think there are different moments in time where different sciences have kind of hit a moment and people project tremendous hopes and faith and uh, and and repudiations, actually, because I'm a person who wants to repudiate genes, um, as I said in the debate, even if the facts support it. Um, I think genes produce a certain kind of reality, um, and they come from a certain kind of reality. So I'd like to ask, what in what what kind of culture, uh, you know, uh, creates the conditions of possibility for genes as knowable objects, and what kind of culture is produced by the gene? What is a genetified culture? We'll come back to that point, but I just want to ask, do you see that there's a parallel between um, the way that we approach genes and the way perhaps uh, the atom was approached in the 1950s? Well, yeah, I mean, in the sense that, I, yeah, I think there are some parallels. Again, I, it's you risk oversimplifying because atomic theory is not the same thing as genetic theory. And the foundations of atomic theory and how that's played out is different than the history of genes. And it's important to keep that those distinctions in place. But there are some common pieces. I think that the atom became more than its facts. It became a site of this sense that one was going to find a, a kind of underlying understanding of the realities of the universe, that, that somehow the atom represented um, the achievement uh, of... of 
the most verisimilitude between a scientific theory and what is. And I think that is a profound modern fantasy, that, that life is knowable, that, we, that, there, that there are underlying realities, there are underlying facts, and we can know them. And my view on that personally is there probably are. I'm not sure. And if there are, this I do believe, if there are underlying realities, I absolutely think we can know them, but I'm not sure we can know that we know them or know when we know them. So let's talk about that culture then that our understand our knowledge of uh, genetics brings about. Um, I suppose some commentators would argue that the emphasis on genes and the genetic underpinning of our culture, of the way that we act and behave, actually removes the whole notion of personal responsibility. So we have a lot of discussion about the gay gene, about the, the fat gene, gene, the criminality <laughs> gene, the happy gene. Yeah, yeah. Um, isn't that is that is that a society we actually want to encourage as part of you know through through this well, kind of form? This is absolutely the point for me. It's why it, I think I I have always had a tremendous antipathy to genetic science. It's it, it was when I was writing my talk I had to allow that intellectually the possibility that genetic theory is is grounded factually. Uh, and that there's some correspondence between the gene as a concept and what it's referring to as a biological process. Um, but it was really hard for me to make myself say that because I really, part of me says to, to myself, it doesn't matter what the facts are, I really don't want a genetified world. And I think it's partly on the basis of what you just said, that um, um, that genetics for me has an intrinsic, intrinsic tendency. I believe I don't believe knowledge is neutral. I believe that knowledge has tendencies. Uh, I, I believe that facts are ethical in one way or another. In other words, that knowledge, if it has any meaning at all, carries imperatives of action. And the imperatives of action that accrue to the gene disturb me hugely. Um, and it has to do with what kind of questions of social agency follow a genetified explanation of culture and identity. I think it's intrinsically a racializing tendency uh, when applied to any aspect of social life and any categorization um, of collectives of people. And this was something that I think Sander shared as a view. He was positing the possibility that we can understand genetics not in that racialized sense. And I don't know if I'm persuaded that that, that is the case, what that would mean. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure... I'd, I'm certainly open to persuasion that there, there, there can be a genetics that doesn't follow those tendencies, but I haven't seen that. Um, and partly it may be that I don't know enough about genetics, and there may well be lines of genetics that are pursued that I would feel comforted by. I mean, certainly, let's take the question of race. Um, there are ways in which genetics has certainly disproven the kind of uh, idea that, that, that race has a biological, racial categorization has a biological validity. Um, so it's disrupted the older discourses of race. Uh, at the same time, I think it's reestablished and revivified racializing ways of understanding collectives of people and how they relate to each other, how, how we can understand disease and who is prone to it and who isn't. You know, uh, both Sandra and I use the example of, of Tay-Sachs disease, which is fairly simple in genetic terms condition to be understood because you've got this disease process, which seems as a categorization of, of, of a phenomenon pretty solid. 
not all diseases are solid like that. You know, you're going to get this condition, it's going to follow this process, and you're going to have a child who dies by the age of two or three. Um, it's an inevitably fatal condition, and people have observed its process over time. So you've got a, a disease categorization that seems to be fairly incontrovertible, except disease categories have never been incontrovertible. So you, then you've got a genetic theory of it uh, based on a premise uh, that has to be taken as incontrovertible, and I'm not even sure even in that situation, and I think those kinds of uh, disease processes represent the most likely sites of genetic certainty. Um, but they're problematic, and, and Tay-Sachs is associated with Ashkenazi Jews, even though Ashkenazi Jews aren't the only ones who get Tay-Sachs, and even though Ashkenazi Jew as a category is not a biological category and can't be a biological category because Jewish history is the history of people converting into and out of Jewish identity. So there is no biological grouping that to me makes sense. It's not a plausible categorization or understanding of that identity. But association with Tay-Sachs, the certainties of the Tay-Sachs process genetically cast an aura of biological integrity to the social classification and and that's part of the cultural baggage of it. And I, and, and I think it's very difficult to disentangle sort of the facts from the fictions uh, to really uh, assess the coherence and logical plausibility of the categorizations in play. One thing is certain that genetics is part of an order of taxonomization. It's part of a taxonomic way of knowing the world that you're making classifications, you're, you're drawing up orders. It's kind of an inheritor of, the, of Linnaeus's taxonomic biology. There may be other kinds of biologies that aren't taxonomic in quite that sense, but certainly this is. But should we be fearful of that taxonomy and developing our understanding of the world? Or actually should our fear be more directed, not so much at, at building an understanding of the world, but what we then do with that understanding afterwards? For me, you can't really separate out the con entirely, you know, uh, the processes that make something plausible as a, a knowledge to seek, and then what the consequences are. Um, I find it very difficult to to make that separation because it seems to me that they're all intersecting, um, and there's a kind of um, there's a way in which. The culture produces genes as, an, uh, as a plausible object of knowledge, and then genes themselves feed back into the culture, so you've got a feedback loop. And you can make a point of intervention on that loop, but it is a loop. The, 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 the discoveries around the atom un, you know, unlocked huge understandings about the structure of the universe, the way that physics operates, how we yeah. understand the world around us. Um, but the, the consequence of that in terms of the emergence of the nuclear bomb um, the war, you know, the Cold War, the arms races, the the whole kind of the whole fear and uh, and fact of um, of the, the mutually assured destruction derived out of that. Do all of those outcomes mean that that initial understanding should have not happened? I, I don't think it's as simple as that, but I do think those are are, are good questions. Um, I think that there are different ways of understanding knowledge. Uh, you could say that knowledge is a progress of trying to find the ultimate knowledge, and then we can stop, or because we've got it. Or you could say, maybe the right questions to ask about knowledge is not so much if something is true, but what kind of truth it is. 
uh, there's many different orders of things that are true, and they can all be true simultaneously, even if they're all contradictory. Um, I think the right questions to ask about atoms are cultural ones. You know, what made the atom, what were the conditions of possibility that made the atom uh, plausible as a something to seek uh, in terms of knowledge and that produced a kind of knowledge, and to have a certain humility about that because um, knowledge is always falsified, and, and how we gauge what's valuable about knowledge is often on, on the question of how useful it is. But we know that you can use all sorts of things that are understood as wrong and do stuff with it. You can use, you know, the Ptolemaic universe and the way they, the way the way the physical world was understood Ptolemaically to, you know, to navigate. It's wrong, you know. The you know when when the when you know during a period of time when uh, it was understood that the that the Earth was the center of the universe, a whole lot of mathematics and science was produced that is incredibly useful and that we can use today on the basis of wrong premises. So that's an interesting phenomenon. Um, there are some things that accrue to knowledges that seem more or less incontrovertibly problematic um, and people want to ask whether the initial fact was um, salvageable, wasn't necessarily given to that use. I don't, I don't take that view. I don't think you can make it a separation. I think that knowledge has tendencies, uh, and it's worth knowing what those tendencies are. And there's lots of different ways of knowledge. And it maybe we have more choice over, maybe the, maybe the way to, to pursue knowledge is to think, about, to, to think about it in reverse order. What kind of ethics do we want to support? What kind of world do we want? And what knowledge seeking supports that world? Um, I don't know if it's that easy to do in practice, but it's certainly a question that was raised for me in, in the wake of the gene because my discomfort with the gene is I'm, I'm not sure it's an ethical fact, even if it's a fact. In other words, I don't think that the imperative, I'm not sure that the imperatives of action, the ethical burden of the gene, is one that I, I find desirable. Is that ethical burden greater because unlike, I suppose, uh, atom, the atom or quantum physics or any of these kind of areas, the gene says more about us what it is to be human? Uh, no, I don't think that's right. I think that the atom also says what it means to be human. I think the uh, I think there are perhaps different ethical questions at stake because um, we, we don't tend to take an atomic theory of disease or an atomic theory of kinship. It would be interesting to consider you know, what kind of world does that produce? What does it mean to think, well, you know, I want to think about, uh, you know, if, if physics is about the relationship of bodies, what is it about the relationship of emotions? You know, what is a, a, an atomic theory of love going to look like? Um, is it possible to pursue an atomic theory of love? Uh, is it possible to pursue a genetic theory of love? Um, and what are the differences between those theories of but I suppose the genetic theory offers the possibility of changing that notion of what is human. I mean, there's a lot of debate at the moment about in the UK around the use of animal-human embryos mm -hmm. uh, within research. Surely those kind of those things that are underpinned by our understanding of genetics and how humans relate right, perhaps, to the genes of a chim I don't think chimpanzee that's is more, changing what right, humans I don't are. Think, I don't think that's more dangerous than whatever is produced by atoms. Uh, but I think that I, I don't think it's right even to make those comparisons exactly in those terms. Uh, I wouldn't do that. But uh, yes, uh, genetics operates on the terrain 
of uh, how we make distinctions, animal-human. And from certain genetic angle, there's not a lot to distinguish us from other life forms. You could say a genetic theory should produce an idea that we're all on this continuum of life and there's some kind of interpermeability of life. That genetic theory on the one hand shows us and on the other hand seems to support keeping things separate. So genetics has contradictory tendencies. Uh, it, it does uh, it is premised on and it does produce knowledges that say there are absolute distinctions between this and that in terms of life forms and also genetic theories that support the idea that they're interpermeable. That's why you can move genes from one place to another. My uh, impression of, of genetic intervention at the, at, the, at, the, at the micro level that it is seems extraordinarily um, misplaced because it's, it's a and obvious to me, <laughs> obviously wrong, because you can't, you can't take something that's vastly complex and then just make one single little point of intervention and think everything's going to turn out the way you want. Even if it does, it doesn't, because complex things are complex. So you may want to believe it's simple, but that doesn't make it so. Uh, you can treat things as if they're simple, but then there are all kinds of effects that are going to accrue to that. And it seems very rash and very misplaced to think that. Uh, it's interesting because I was looking uh, earlier on, I did a paper looking at a symposium about the genetics of criminal and antisocial behavior. And it seemed, and, and it was in the collection, it was a scientific symposium. There was a, an opposition set up between hard determinism, single gene causes X. Um, and soft determinism, um, constellations of genes operating complex ways, inter interacting with um, constellations of environmental factors to produce a tendency to crime. And I thought the first one is obviously wrong. There isn't a gene for crime. What could, what could that possibly mean when crime is, is obviously a cultural construct, obviously contested, obviously changes over time? What do we mean by crime? Uh, you can't pin that down. So it's not given to that kind of firm classification that would justify a genetic theory in, in the hard determinist sense. Clearly wrong. Soft determinism, probably right. But it doesn't tell you anything. It's like emptied of content. Um, and, and so I think that's interesting. It's like a, in, in it, where do genes make most sense as a theoretical understanding of the world? And how do we distinguish between how we understand things um, and the kind of points of intervention. You know, you make a diagnosis, there are all sorts of ethical burdens set up in that process about who should get tested, what they should do about it when they are, if there's a genetic cure. You know, people are very invested in the idea that genetics is going to produce cures. I'm far less convinced that that's even possible. Um, I can understand the wishful fantasy about that, and it's certainly a big driver um, but it seems to me that it's important to look at the underlying premises of a science, to subject it not only to the tradition of scientific falsifiability, but cultural falsifiability is a big factor of that. You know, what are the cultural assumptions that we are supposed to be taking as read for the, that, that form the basis for a particular scientific endeavor? And a gene for crime says we can have a category crime, for the purpose of this experiment, and we can know something about crime when we find the gene. And, and the same with cultural identity, you know, that somehow Jewish identity has some kind of 
cultural, has some kind of validity as a biological category, has some co logical coherence as a category, has to be assumed for the purpose of seeking a Jewish gene. Or gay makes sense as a, as a biological classification um, such that we can seek a gene for it. it it's a presumption. And it's in some ways a lot of what I've found in what I've looked at in genetics is that the things that are presumed are the things that actually need to be found out. Um, that the presuppositions that aren't really looked at are the things precisely that genetics is not answering. But do we have a culture that's capable of thinking in such a complex way as to understand the underpinning science or is our tendency to, well I'm making an assumption, is our tendency to try and simplify and look for easy answers getting in the way of a proper understanding of the science? Um, I think the way I'd answer that would be to say I think there are serious reductive tendencies in genetic science. Um, is, that, is that the only way? It can, can, gene can there be a genetics that is complex? Maybe. Uh, I'd certainly be interested. I would, I'd be interested to, to see the case made for genetics as a science of complexity. Um, I believe that things are complex and always moving um, and facts are changing. Um, is that reductivism coming from a cultural background or is it coming from, or coming from a scientific both. area? Science is a, is a site of culture. Uh, science is in, in part, in, in, among all the things that science is, a culture industry is one of them. It, it's an author of culture and an inheritor of culture. It takes place within cultural context. The people who are in it are cultural agents. They, you know, um, the processes of science are embedded in, in cultural assumptions. Uh, Foucault suggested uh, a concept of the episteme, um, by which he meant the conditions of possibility of knowledge. And I think science takes place within and forges the conditions of possibility of knowledge, and, and th those are moving. Uh, I think it's a good question, you know, uh, are the sciences that we pursue sciences of complexity? Um, and, and to what degree of complexity? Uh, I don't personally perceive genetics, and I'm not a geneticist, so I'm, I'm aware that there may well be strands of genetic theory that are really engaged in answering complexities um, rather than in, in the reductionism I've seen in it in terms of classifications for the purpose of. And it may be that our cultural and scientific taxonomic traditions are just intrinsically reductive, that the gene is part of a body, of a way of knowledge that's intrinsically reductive. That's certainly an impression that I have, and that's one of the things that makes me uncomfortable. And I would want to have the case made that I'm wrong. Do you think you'd be having a different discussion if you were sat in Japan or South Korea? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Uh, without knowing very much at all about Korean or Japanese traditions of science. Uh, so I can't answer what kinds of cultures these are. I d I'm not embedded in them. Uh, I, I don't know the history of, of medicine and science in those contexts, but I can't assume that they're the same as the ones that I'm familiar with. And the, the kind of, I, I am looking at a Western genetics tradition. Uh, the extent to which that's a crossover um, or whether there are alternative ways of knowledge in those contexts. I assume there are alternative ways of knowledge, just as I, there are many ways of knowledge within Western culture. So what do you see as the future of the relationship between ourselves and the genes that you know, define us? 
well, uh, it, it seems to me this is the moment of the gene, and, and it's a huge tide. Uh, it's a tidal wave. Um, it's hard for me to imagine an alternative. Uh, I just would like to see one, and so I'm, I guess I want to be... I, I, I want to question this because I believe that this is not the only way of knowing the world. Uh, so what I think pragmatically is going to happen is that genes will continue to have a, a force in the world as long as it continues to answer the things that people want to seek as knowledge. Um, when that stops being the case, then it won't be. Deborah, thank you very much. You're welcome. If you would like to comment on anything you have heard in this podcast, then please email me at t.abbott at warwick.ac.uk.